If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. This idea of music and medicine has been around many decades, but the problem there is there's a lack of clinical research. You can actually tackle this question and you can answer, does this music make some changes on your mind and body? Music, it's a core element in our lives, but can it actually have a beneficial effect on our brains? That is what neuroscientist Dr. Yuni Lee and his research team are currently exploring. Dr. Lee is a full-time assistant professor at the University of Texas at Dallas in the School of Behavioral and Brain Sciences. He's also the director of the university's auditory neuroscience speech language and music lab, called SLAM Lab for short. In addition to numerous grants he's been awarded, Dr. Lee recently became one of the first grant recipients for National Institute of Health's new Music and Health Initiative. In early March 2022, Dr. Lee shared some of his research findings in a talk entitled Brain Music and Wellbeing at the University of Texas at Dallas Center for Brain Health. The following podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please contact a healthcare professional with any medical questions. Dr. Lee, how did you first come to realize what effect music has on our brains and therefore our bodies? So before I you know, came back to academia, actually, I was working as a commercial music director, TV commercials mostly. Right? And during that time, my daily job was to either find out existing songs that match with the film or composed from scratch, including jingles. So I had to watch the silent film a thousand times, if I exaggerate a little bit. Just keep watching this until you come up with the music or sound that will be perfectly harmonized with the film, right? And, you know, at the end of the day, we had a client from Samsung or LG, because I was mostly working with companies in South Korea as well. We had a client sitting on the couch. We had a gigantic speaker side by side. And we played this final work, the TV commercials. So there is, you know, obviously film and also sound, the music, and voice actors copy messages, right, for the uh, product and uh, other sound effects and whatnot. And it feels almost as if you watch this for the first time. It gives me like ecstatic feeling, right? When the sound is perfectly matched, uh, harmonized with, with the visuals, then you have enormous impression on it. I mean, so imagine yourself watching movies without sound, right? That'd be super boring, right? Just like watching TV commercials without sound, muting the sound would be really boring as well. But when you add the music and sound effects, really, it makes huge differences. So I became interested in that phenomenon. And my undergrad major was biology with a focus on neuroscience. So I knew how to do literature search. So whenever I had a downtime, I Googled and you know, I, I went to the PubMed, uh, which is you know, uh, science paper repository created by the NIH. 
So I was able to find some very interesting papers regarding the effect of music on the brain and how music is processing the brain and how music and pictures are actually really well integrated in the brain at the single cell level. So, I mean, that already that has been documented in the 60s and 70s with animal electrophysiology. For example, when the sound is slightly mismatched with the visual, even a few milliseconds off, the neuron in the STS spirit temporal circus, that is actually the place where the auditory and visual inputs actually integrate and merged, those cells, uh, neuronal cells, they, they don't fire when there is a slight mismatch. In fact, they are suppressed. Usually when there is nice synchrony between sound and picture, instead of the firing, right, one plus one could be two, they actually fire exponentially. So one plus one is not two, it will be four or eight. Drastically fire up. That kind of indicates this integration of uh, multisensory. Um, if I yeah. understand yeah. the science behind what you just said, that would explain why when you're watching a movie and it's exciting and the music swells, you feel into it, or when it's sad, that's it takes you down. Something right, like that's that. why. And if we can feel the affect or emotional contents out of pictures or out of sound, right? So it's not just a physical property, but also emotional contents or affect to do Right, you can actually extract those, and when they are perfectly harmonized, right? Think about horror movie, right? Like you know this famous you know movie Psycho, right? The famous scene there, this uh, violin fiddle, you know, uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? I do the shower scene. You're giving me chills right now remembering that. <laughs> right. So that that sound actually amplifies the level of fear so much, right? So without sound, it would be probably less scary. But with, because of the existence of the sound, presence of the sound, you get way more scared. <laughs> so that, that's what I'm talking about. That is mind-blowing. Looking at your presentation recently about brain music and well-being, a lot of the things that you were covering were about language and how rhythms affect language. What do we know about music and rhythms in the development of speech and language? Right, right. So music and language, they share a lot in common, right? And like acoustic physical properties. One of the important things of those is actually a rhythmic pattern. So, you know, the, we have this prosody when you speak, right? You have this press at the syllabic level or word level. We call this accent too, right? I mean, you can feel my accent is different than yours. English is not my first language. I still maintain my Korean accent. You can tell, right? So every everybody has their own unique speech pattern. That's actually a rhythmic pattern, right? And everybody's born with different ability of extracting that rhythmicity, rhythmic pattern from sound, right? A stream of words or notes, Right, so stream of words that's language, spoken sentences, and the stream of notes that's the music. What we call, right? You can extract the rhythmicity, and then you can actually predict what will come next. That is a really important skill that any like high level animals should 
have. Otherwise, they're at risk. They put themselves in a very dangerous situation. You got to be able to predict what's going to come next right? based upon what has happened before. So I'm not going to get into all the Bayesian theory, <laughs> but the rhythmicity gives you that idea. What will come next? Based upon it, you can actually predict what nouns will appear, right? If you hear, I love, and then you might expect you or, right, right? Pizza, whatever, depending on the context, right? So that, that's the ability. But some of the kids actually born with a rhythm deficit. So they have trouble actually understanding spoken sentence, spoken speech, right? Spoken language. So like kids with dyslexia, if you look at their rhythm performance, like a drumming, right? The clapping, they all show very impaired level of performance. So that also suggests this link between their language skill and the music skill. And conversely, some kids were born with extremely talented music skills. What we found is they also have a really good linguistic skills, especially their grammar. That's because of this shared mechanism between rhythm and between rhythm and grammar in music and language domain. That's what we found, and that's what I briefly touched upon during my talk. What was mind-blowing for me in your talk was where you demonstrated people tapping with the finger and said you could pretty much tell how they would be with the rhythms. Yeah, that's another yeah. true mystery. You know, people who have a stroke, they lose their language ability. They have trouble getting word out. But then when we ask them to sing, they can sing with lyrics. And for a long time, we believe that's because of melody, melodic variation or pitch variation in music and singing. But now we think that it's actually not melody, but it's, it could be rhythm. So we we're testing that hypothesis and we're showing the brain-based evidence. That's what we're doing right now. In fact, you have some pretty exciting apps coming out. I wish you'd tell me a little bit about the app that you're doing, Speech Hero. What is this one, please? Yeah, so this is the project in collaboration with a company based in Irvine, California, actually. So where, where are you now? I'm in Long Beach, California. That's my neighbor, oh. practically. Yeah, it's not that far, right? Yeah, so I've been working with this company called the Flynn Rehab. So basically, we are implementing this idea of rhythm-based language innovation, right? Because... Because we, we think that it's actually rhythmicity. So we really try to reinforce this rhythm function of the brain. And as a result, that will benefit their speech recovery, language recovery. And we found out that actually through this intense rhythm-based intervention, they can actually develop the brain plasticity towards the area that is actually healthy and that is intact, typically right side. But again, it really depends on the patient's lesion profile. So what I mean by lesion is the damaged area. If some patients have a smaller lesion on the left hemisphere, it could very well be that they may utilize what's called the ipsilateral part of the brain, which is adjacent to the damaged area, if there's available resources. Whereas the patient that I show you during my talk she had a massive lesion on the left hemisphere, so there's nothing much there. 
So the brain has to utilize the other side of the brain, which is the right side, pretty much intact. So we saw the increased brain connectivity, increased brain connectivity in the homolog part of the right side, the right part of the frontal area and the temporal area. That's what we found. How is the patient doing now? It was pretty amazing to watch her learn to speak from rhythm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was very touching. The last day of our study, the patients, her name is Debbie, Debbie's daughter, you know, she came to us saying, well, Dr. Lee, we thank you so much. We actually, we dropped the ball. We had no hope, but you guys really give us the foundation of hope. Now that we're seeing, my mom's actually speaking way better than before. So they're actually, her daughter, Jamie, was going to put her mom in the rehab, like a you know, regular rehab place. So yeah, so that was a couple of years ago. We, we kind of lost in touch, especially after yeah, we moved to Texas. But yeah, it was really touching. And that really, you know, for sure me that, wow, this clinical research is so meaningful and so valuable to do. Watching the gentleman with Parkinson's dancing mm-hmm. was amazing to me. I, would, I should give a link here and a recommendation for your talk where people can see it. I understand you'll be speaking again in early April. Let's do a shameless plug where and when you'll be speaking. Early in April. Actually, I'm going to visit Dartmouth. They have this Music and Health Symposium. Yeah, so I'll be giving a talk there. Where can people find out more about what you're doing? They can actually visit our lab by Googling, or our center provides links through social media, such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So they can learn about my research through my center, which is Center for Brain Health, or they could directly find out my research if they come across our research articles or, (laughs) yeah. I mean, that is actually what we've been trying to figure out, how to better disseminate what we're doing to the lay audience and the potential clients and patients out there. You'll find Center for Brain Health, which Dr. Lee mentioned, at centerforbrainhealth.org. And check out his recent presentation on brain music and well-being on the Center for Brain Health's YouTube channel. Meanwhile, you can find out more about Dr. Lee's current projects through the University of Texas Speech, Language, and Music Lab at utd-slam.github.io. And on social media, their handle is SlamLab. What are some of the implications of your research where you're using rhythm therapy to help with Alzheimer's and help with Parkinson's, but what about the average person who may want to get treatment for anxiety or something of that nature? Oh, yeah. I mean, do we, we've done study with typically developing children, and we, kids who have extremely good rhythm skills, they also show good grammar skills in language, right? So this connection between music and language exists regardless of whether they have neurological symptoms or not, right? So... You, know, you can actually reinforce this network and that will manifest itself as improved language or improved cognition, such as 
memory or attention. You probably remember our binaural beat study towards the end, right? So that's just a listening to your binaural beat you know, with the music. So it really doesn't require a lot of effort. Uh, you can just put on your headphone and listen to the binaural beat with whichever music you like or you know, however many hours you, you can. And then that would actually potentially improve your, your attention or re- could reduce your anxiety level depending on the frequency of binaural beat you hear, typically lower frequency area. Now, so again, this idea of music and medicine has been around many decades, but the problem there is there's a lack of rigor or rigorous research, clinical research. So, you know, we really need to prove this scientifically, clinically. So that's the missing part. But again, because of the advanced uh, neuroimaging technology and this interdisciplinary research culture, now this is really the time of excitement where you can you can actually tackle this question and you can you can answer does music really do something for you? Does this music do make some changes on your mind and body? Again, we've been believing it, but then we just need, we've been missing with this evidence. So we're, right now, we're on our way to find that out and provide this evidence to the, to the community. What's coming up for you next? What are some of the milestones that are going to be in the next six months about which you're especially excited in this research? Well, we have a couple of projects on the way right now. Some of them are funded research by NIH, so we have this time pressure. We have to carry them out so that we can finish before the deadline. But that's a rhythm study with aphasic patients. We are going to start our study, binary beat study, with Alzheimer patients this spring and summer. And we're also going to do binary beat study with kids with DLD stands for developmental language disorder. So, so yeah, we have quite a few on the way right now. So we'll be busy year this year. What has been one of the research findings in the last year or so that has wowed you the most? Oh, I'm, well, so I mentioned this during my talk, BMW talk. So again, we used to believe that it could be melody or pitched variation that enables speech recovery in people with aphasia. Mm-hmm. But you know, about 10 years ago, there's study comparing rhythm speech to singing in a based intervention, and they show a comparable results, suggesting you don't need the melody, actually. Rhythm is just sufficient. So that was that really struck me back then, and that really inspired me to conceive of this idea of a rhythm-based intervention for aphasic patients. So that study, off the top of my head, I can think of that. Another study was... You know, we've been talking about, is there any, like, special music, such as Mozart music? And I'm sure you heard about this Mozart effect, classical music, right? Turns out that any music that you like actually will really give you a shot of dopamine in your head. Because in, a couple of years ago, in McGill University, they had their participants study participants bring their own favorite song, burn the CD, and then just bring to the researcher. And the researcher shuffle all the music 
And then what they did was they put people in the head imaging in the device, and then while they're scanning participants' brain, they play those music, all the shuffled song. And what happened was, whenever the participants listen to their own favorite music, there's explosion of dopamine and their mirror system of the brain, the upper layer of the brain called the basal ganglia and so forth. So that strongly suggests that, you know, any music that you like that makes you as fit, don't have to listen to the music that other people may like, which is Mozart music that never works for me. <laughs> me either. Compared to like other music, like a heavy metal or rock, for example. <laughs> you are a rock guitarist, are you not? Metallica <laughs> music probably works better. <laughs> or maybe that, who knows? <laughs> that sounds awfully familiar. My signature question for my podcast is if people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from your work? Well, make me difference through music and rhythm and binary beat, you can actually change yourself. You can improve your your cognitive skills and your you know your brain plasticity, you can develop that through by harnessing the good rhythmicity and music and you know, listening habits. So I encourage people to do the music practice at any age, you know, wherever they might be, children, young adults, old adults, doesn't matter. Music can really fit your brain, as I can say. Dr. Lee, thank you for your time today. Well, thanks so much, Doc. I really appreciate your invitation. You and I have been listening to Dr. Yuni Lee, director of UTD's Speech, Language, and Music Lab. Dr. Lee is a neuroscientist and assistant professor at the university's School of Behavior and Brain Sciences, and you can find out more about his ongoing research projects at utd-slam.github.io and also get a look at his work with the Center for Brain Health at centerforbrainhealth.org. The preceding podcast was for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please contact a healthcare professional with any medical questions. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.